Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 137 of the Quickie Podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and I got a boy from Boston on the show today. My guest is Jeff Donegan. He's the creative director and partner at Tank Design in Boston. During this interview, we talk about how he moved around a whole bunch when he was younger, born in Dublin, high school in Amsterdam. He did art college in Brighton over in England there and then moved into London. We talk about how when he was younger, he was always doing some artwork and typography, you know, as early as grade two. He just didn't know what he was doing, didn't know what it was. We also talk about the letterpress poster that really influenced him. We talk about the importance of design history and using it in your processes. We also get into a story about how print and digital are working hand in hand together. And he tells us about the moment after graduation where he looked at the sort of huge design landscape out there and what direction to go and how he was looking for his place in that landscape, where to fit. And we also get into the importance of educating your client on your process, what your process is. And throughout this episode, mentors comes up a few times. So that's always good. That's a sign, ladies and gentlemen. So let's get to it. My guest, whose voice will make a Wolverine purr and has a very unique accent to go along with it, Jeff Donegan. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Jeff, how are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show today. Of course. Thanks for having me. You ready for a Quickie? I'm always ready. Attaboy. Uh, let's get into the tough stuff first. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Cool. So my name's uh, Jeff Donegan. I'm a, a creative director, uh, Tank Design here in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Austin. Um, I've been a designer for pretty much 20 years, I guess, in an official capacity, but I've been thinking about it for a lot longer than that. Mm -hmm. So how would you define official capacity? Is that like you've been being paid for design for 20 years? Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Although I hate to think about it in that that sense, but yeah, pretty much. That's when it becomes professional, (laughs) once you (laughs) start being able to pay bills with your design. That's it, yeah. I love it. So how long has Tank been around for? So Tank's been around for, uh, I think this is our 25th year. 25th year. That's fantastic. Yeah. Great for you guys. Yeah. yeah. So I've been at Tank for 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Tank's, Tank's been around for 25. Perfect. And what were you doing before Tank then? So before Tank, I was, I was living in London, in England. Nice. Um, and I was working at uh, a studio called Lateral. Okay. Um, we were, they were one of the sort of seminal digital agencies in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working there for a few years. We were doing lots of cool work for brands like, uh, Levi's, Amnesty International, uh, the UK Labor Party. Um, lots of cool stuff. Yeah. That's cool. And how long were you at that place for? 
Oh God, that's a good question. Um, so I guess I was probably there for, I want to say five years. Got it. Okay. So set it in the scene here. Were you in London for just that five years or were you, or what was the, what was the process? What was the move? I think I was in London. I think I was in London for uh, six or seven years total. So, um, uh, I can go right back from the beginning if, if you want. So I was born in Dublin. Perfect. Oh, Um, crazy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born in Dublin. I lived there till I was 13. Um, and then I moved to Amsterdam, went to high school in Amsterdam. Um, till I was 18. And then I moved to the south coast of England to a town called Brighton, um, where I went to art school and and learned to be a designer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I stayed in Brighton for a couple of years after that, and then moved to London after that. Very cool. Okay, so definitely moved around, bounced around in your childhood there. Indeed. Definitely. Okay, so you did art school, and then moved into London. And that's when you sort of entered the design world, entered the studio world and getting into that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Beautiful picture painted. So you really quickly skipped over childhood and I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, sure. So you moved around, which creates its own you know, creativity just by doing that. Um, yeah. but I want to ask you a little bit more about your childhood. Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that pointed you in this career path? Yeah, sure. I, I would say I did, but, but not necessarily uh, consciously. So it wasn't like my parents were sort of pushing me in this direction or anything like that. I sort of took to art um, when I was pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think back about it, I, I definitely feel like I kind of knew I wanted to be a graphic designer from an exceptionally young age, mm-hmm. but I didn't really know what it was. So when I was in like second grade, I was, you know, in Mrs. Blessing's art class in Dublin, I was designing posters for bands that I had in my head because mm-hmm. um, I was into music, but I didn't really know you know, what graphic design was or what typography was, mm-hmm. but that's certainly what I was sort of interested in and, and kind of playing with. Um, and then as I grew up, you know, I, I think art was always just that the thing that I was good at, you know, I was, um, it wasn't sort of the rest of academia. It was definitely when I was in school, I was focused on art. Um, and then, you know, as I, as I grew up, I kind of started to understand what graphic design was. It kind of started developing sort of a, an appreciation for, um, a lot of the brands and and uh, the movement around the things that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. So I was interested in skateboarding and um, those kind of things, and and you know started to to get a better understanding of what design was. Um, but I definitely was into it from a super young age. I just didn't really know what it, what it was. What it was. Okay. So what was the moment where you were able to label it? You were able to say that that is design. Yeah, it's a good question. So I think it definitely when I moved to Amsterdam my consciousness, (coughs) excuse me. Um, when I moved to Amsterdam, my consciousness for what design was changed Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden, um, I don't know if you've been to the Netherlands, but they have a really amazing design sensibility. Um, and it's really part of society. Um, you know, the, the Dutch appreciate good design. They invest in it. Um, you know, things in general are beautiful. They're well put together. The identity for the police force, the identity for the postal service, all really beautifully crafted um, pieces of design. So that's when I started to understand um, what it was and, and that it could sort of have an impact on society, I guess. Very cool. You know, that's that um, sort of Scandinavian feeling or design or architecture has been mentioned a few times on the show um, mm. as something that really inspired people um, and influenced them, even when they didn't know that it was. Yeah. You know, yeah, reflecting yeah. back, right? Yeah, um, for sure. 
So in that journey so far, is there anything that stands out to you as the most influential design of your life so far? Something that you saw and has just stuck with you? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are certainly a lot of them and they definitely changed, you know, with each place. So when I was in Ireland, I was into, um, I was into music a lot and it was sort of the, the graphic language of the music I was into at the time, which was all kind of crazy, really hyper decorative kind of heavy metal stuff, Guns mm -hmm. N' Roses, things like that. Um, and then that changed, you know, as I got into skateboarding and then when I moved to Holland, but I think there is one piece of graphic design that sort of sticks with me and, and I'm reminded of it every day. And that's, I don't know if you're familiar with Anthony Burrow. No, he's, um, he's a, an English graphic designer who does a lot of work with letterpress. Mm -hmm. um, but one of his early letterpress posters is this, it's a really super simple, just beautifully put together poster, but um, it says work hard and be nice to people on it. <laughs> and to me, like I have it hanging up in my kitchen. It, it, it's something that I can just, I look for like simplicity in language mm -hmm. and, and simplicity in design. Um, and that's something that really resonates me because it gives me a way to think about, you know, leaving the house every day. I tell my kids it every day when they're leaving the house. So just as a piece of design, that one poster has, has probably got a more present sort of impact on me than anything else. Awesome. That would totally have an impact on you. Yeah. Do you remember the moment you saw that for the first time? I do. I think when I saw it for the first time, I was, I was living, I was living in England. And actually when I saw it for the first time, I don't know that it really, that it really resonated that much, but, but I pretty soon after I first saw it, I heard the story of it. Mm -hmm. And, and the story that he tells of it is that he was in uh, Sainsbury's, which is a supermarket in, in England. Mm -hmm. And he heard somebody, one of the um, cashiers say it to, to a young person who was sort of checking out. And uh, and then it really kind of hit me because I, I love the idea that he just sort of picked it out of the air. It was just something that was happening naturally. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't really something that he had crafted, yeah. you know, something that he sort of overheard and it resonated with him and he made it into a poster and then it sort of can resonate with anyone. Um, you know so what that makes that. me think of then is, you know how you have those moments when you're you know in the middle of a design or a marketing strategy or creative where you hear something or you see something and you just go, oh, I got it. And you click yeah, and you get an sure. idea, you know, but there, there's yeah. the projects where you're trudging through it and you're really, you know, scrapping concepts and you're fighting for it. Yeah. But, yeah, but yeah. then there's the ones where it just clicks. It just yeah. clicks. And that's, you know, that sounds like that's that moment. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's right. And I think in order to get to that moment, you have to, in order, to, so in order to make that process repeatable, mm -hmm. but I feel like that's essentially what, what, um, we pursue as designers is, is being able to come up with that moment for every project. Yes. Um, and in order to make it repeatable to me, I feel like you have to get through thousands of ideas to get to the good ones, mm -hmm. you know? So it's really about sort of generating as much thinking as you can. Um, and then at some point, you know, when it becomes that, that idea will present itself. It's never the first idea. I feel like. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's much more often the thousand. A hundred percent right at the end. Um, so now I want to ask you then, who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and closely follow? What about them do you like? Sure. Um, yeah, so there's there's definitely a few. Um, I think the thing that stands out to me, so there are historic ones that have just had a huge impact on on design as a as a practice mm -hmm. um, and, and the sort of the evolution of, a, of design. So um, one of my all-time favorites is, is Wim Crowell. Who's a Dutch graphic designer? 
Um, he's sort of what was one of the pioneers of the idea of grid systems. Um, he did incredibly sort of experimental type typographic work. Mm-hmm. Um, he did amazing work for the Stedelijk Museum in Amsterdam. So he stands out to me as sort of one of my design heroes. Um, but then also I'm sort of constantly impressed by designers who, who just sort of, um, are passionate about the history of design and are attached to that, but are also generating just a high volume of, of work. And mm-hmm. you can sort of see their passion. So I think of people like Aaron Draplin, like he just, you can tell he's passionate about, about his work and he's just generating a high volume of it. You know, he's just always in it. Um, Joe Stewart from work and co I think as well is, is the same. He has this appreciation for the past um, and for design thinking and design as a process, but he's really applying it to some of the most progressive digital applications that we're seeing. So um, he's somebody that I that I really try and keep up with what he's up to. I love Working Co's sort of work and their approach. Um, yeah, so there's a few, but I think those are the, the the people that I find resonate most with me are the ones that sort of understand and, and are students of design history, mm-hmm. but are, are applying it to, to things that are progressive today. I love that. Um, that. You made me think of a question and I want to go off script here and throw you a curveball, Jeff. Sure. Um, how are you using design history in your process? Oh, that's a great question. I love it. Um, I think to me, I try and I try and use my um, appreciation of design history to avoid the trends of today. Mm-hmm. So when I think about the work that that I'm creating or that we're creating as an agency. Um, I try and make sure that we're not sort of resting on our laurels. It's too easy to kind of search for influences that are kind of, um, you know, that are that are just out there. Sorry, there's an interruption going on in the background. No, it's all good. <laughs> um, I, I, I try and – hey, Steve. Um, I try and um, – I, I try and look for – uh, work that is that is bucking trends, I guess, but that, mm. but that's doing so in a way that is built on you know a solid sort of um, foundation of design fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's looking at, at things like you know elegant use of space and um, effective communication and the way that we're using language, um, beautiful typography. I just try and I try and sort of hang on to those fundamentals. Um, and use those to create things that are fresh rather than use those to create things that sort of feel of our current kind of time. Mm-hmm. So in the design world, do you feel that there is, um, you know, tried and true staples that we can always go back on or, you know, lean back on? And if so, what are some of those? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think there are. I think those staples come down to. Well, most of the time it's effective communication, you know, and it's not, I don't believe that design should be, um, should be self-indulgent. I feel it should, it should be focused on the recipient. Um, and essentially the way that, that language today is the language of the user, right? Especially when we think about digital experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but to me, that, that is, that's what makes design today exciting to me as well as I feel that it is really sort of becoming true to, um, its original intent, which is to sort of communicate um, you know, communicate effectively. Um, there are fundamentals again, like I mentioned before, the, you know, the idea of, of elegant, well-crafted typography, beautiful layout, you know, things that sort of guide the user through experiences. That's the, those are the kind of fundamentals that I look to when I try and, um, 
think about how we can create relevant experiences, but that are still sort of um, beautiful and well executed. I love that because it really is all about the experiences, um, mm. you know, whether it's digital or tangible, which sort of, mm-hmm. um, you know, slides me into the next question, which is about print. Um, mm. And I'd love to hear how you have utilized print in your design career and any stories around, you know, recent projects or print projects or packaging projects um, that you've been a part of and how you felt they were impactful. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think the unfortunate reality is that they're becoming um, fewer, you know, I think we're doing less of them. Just um, it's just sort of the way, the way things are at the moment. But I think for me, print, uh, I, I, entered the design industry at a time when that transition was happening, Mm -hmm. right? So when print was still very prominent when I entered um, the design industry and certainly was a big part of my education in design. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, understanding printing, understanding typesetting and all these things. Um, And that, you know, has, um, for me, it served as an important sort of foundation for, for digital work. Mm -hmm. Um, And, it tend, what I tend to see now is that the print work that excites me is when we work with clients who, who understand the value of something tangible mm-hmm. and the, the beauty and the materials and those sorts of things. So they are few and far between, but we have a couple of clients that are, that are excited about um, investing in high quality sort of printed materials. And, and, you know, we, we look, we look for those and we, and we hang on to them, but we also really try and make sure that those values feed into our digital work. Mm -hmm. So have you ever had a client, um, you know, cross over digital to print or have a print piece that interacts with digital in some way? Yeah, for sure. We actually, um, we did some uh, some really nice work for um, for a Swiss bank um, who had always sort of placed um, really uh, a lot of value in well crafted printed materials. They would print their annual reports every year and mm-hmm. and were you know sort of um, very cautious about a move into digital. Mm-hmm. Um, so they asked us to put together the digital versions of their annual reports which was really exciting because you know, we got to work with another agency, um, a Swiss agency that, again, you know, really had a, um, a high standard for the, the application of the typography and, and the printed materials, um, but got to, to work with them to sort of understand what their values were and then try and translate that into digital. So where that started to come alive was maintaining the same, um, the same pace in, in the content Mm-hmm. Um, but but using digital to enhance, right? So it's not about just sort of taking the printed piece and putting it on screen. It's about looking for opportunities in the printed piece to um, to bring components of it to life um, in a way that was um, sort of surprising, but enhanced the experience. So some of the those things that we looked at were sort of how, how we can use CSS gradients to mimic the the shadow that sort of happens when you open the page of a mm-hmm. of a, a printed piece. Um, things like that, and then also looking at the the content itself and how we can sort of um, allow the or use the the fundamentals of digital experience to to sort of draw the user into things. So um, that was a super exciting project that sort of bridged the gap between you know holding print to such a high standard um, and using digital to enhance that then rather than appropriate it. Mm-hmm. Perfect. 
Well, Jeff, you've reached the part of the show where we dive into some of the tough stuff. Um, Love it. I have a few questions here that sort of touch on the challenging times and challenging projects through your design career. Um, and mm. I, I really want to pull the lessons out of those and share those with the listeners. Um, so what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Oh, that's a good one. So I think, um, I think the most challenging time for me in my design career was, probably at the very beginning. So when I finished my education and was sort of um, looking to this big, broad, intimidating <laughs> world. You, and, you graduated. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're like, now what? You know? So, um, and, you know, I became a little disillusioned with it, to be honest. I kind of, I didn't, I didn't seem to gel with um, some of the, the companies that I had been lucky enough to have an interview at mm -hmm. um and i found i think pro probably as well because i had been i didn't come to design late in my education like i said before i'd sort of known i wanted to be a designer when i was in high school um so i kind of had been practicing a long time even though it was in my education um so i became a little uh jaded i guess and disillusioned um and i remember i had a, a moment with my um course leader um, it was a guy called Lawrence Egan, um, another great designer and illustrator, but he kind of sat me down and he said, look, I understand the way you're feeling. It's, you know, you've put in a lot of work to this point and now it's, you sort of have to go through this other project of actually finding your place in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and his advice to me was to just sort of not let it overwhelm. He said he had seen it many times before and, and, and he was just nice enough to say that he knew I could do it and he had faith that I would be talking to him again in a couple of years and I would be working in the industry and it, and it wouldn't be an issue. So that sort of, it, it um, helped me um, be less sort of overwhelmed by the situation and mm -hmm. just be a bit more methodical in finding my place in the industry. I took a little bit of a break um, and taking a break is really what told me, it reminded me that I love design and I literally can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that helped me a lot. That was a difficult sort of time to get through but you know once you once i took a break realized that i was thinking about design even when i supposedly didn't have to anymore um i really naturally fell back into the rhythm then and kind of fell back in love with design so it was really having a mentor that had gone before that sort of helped yeah, you through sure. that moment of looking at the landscape and going jesus where am i going to settle yeah yeah exactly yeah and, and you know that mentor was the same mentor who helped me understand um, the, uh, the challenge and the complexity of getting into the industry in the first place and how difficult that can be. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he was also there to say, look, I know how difficult it can be. I also know how you feel about design and what you're capable of. You'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was really what I needed to hear at that point, I think. Perfect. And that really speaks, uh, you know, volumes of the, some of the true benefits of having a mentor, um, you know, to help. For you. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, I want to dive down a little bit deeper, and mm. I want you to tell us about a specific design or a specific project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. Um, what was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? Sure. So um, I'll stop for saying there's probably been more than one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. You know, because they, they, they don't always go as planned. Um, I think uh, the challenge 
well, I feel like there is one consistent challenge with projects that don't go as well as they should. Um, and I'll try and think of a specific example as well. That's going to be a little tougher, but I can, I can come up with one, I'm sure. But I think the challenge is when we essentially at a high level, when we circumvent the process. And often that happens um, in this day and age or at this, uh, at this point, that most often happens when, um, when our clients for some reason feel that, you know, they have a handle on a certain part of the process and they want to move through that quickly or they don't believe in a certain part of the process. So they want to skip that. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, the, your initial reaction to that can be um, to agree to it and and to circumvent parts of the process. Um, but inevitably, that's where it leads to problems. It either leads in sort of a communication gap where you're not on the same page, mm -hmm. um, or it leads to you not having a certain insight that you need in order to be successful. Um, I think the, the other issue with that is that the easy um, assumption to make in that case is that you need to work with clients who understand and respect the process. That's not really a feasible reality if you want to be working regularly. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's much more important to step back and think about how you're doing your job in educating your clients and helping them understand the value in the process. Um, so I think essentially when work doesn't go well, it's not because we're not doing design well. It's because we have failed um, maybe in the sort of the, the part of design that is client services or sales. Um, I think that's something that it's easy to forget, especially when you're starting out as a, as a designer. Mm -hmm. You know, I think at the end of the day, we are commercial artists. We're not just artists. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're getting paid to do this work. So in order to make that a consistent thing, you have to be able to to do a, a, a good job of educating your clients and, and essentially, um, you know, um, being being a salesperson. It's at least part of it. Um, so I think when we fail to do that well, that's that's when work can go, kind of go off the rails. So when I've seen it happen with specific projects, most often happens, um, you know, when you get to um, to the point where you're about to launch a website and maybe mm -hmm. somebody who is a really important stakeholder at a company hasn't seen it yet or hasn't been involved in the process. And, and they'll come in and, and at the last minute decide that it needs a bunch of changes or that something's not right. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, all of a sudden a really significant amount of work can, can be derailed and, and can fail to launch. So um, that's one example of when it can happen. And then the other example of when it can happen, I think, is is maybe um, earlier on in the process when when you do circumvent sort of the, the necessary planning and research and um, a lot of the content strategy piece of it um, that you can end up uh, realizing too late that you're missing important pieces of information. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that, you know, and you're on the, the sort of larger side of the design world in the agency life and how many staff are at Tank? Mm. How, at tank? Uh, we're about 65 people. Okay. So that's considered like a pretty, pretty good sized um, agency for sure. Yeah. So do you sure. feel that even, you know, that you're getting the larger caliber clients and things like that, the, the bigger companies, the corporations, um, do you mm -hmm. feel they're coming mm -hmm. to you with an understanding about how to properly work with an agency and follow their processes? Or is it an education process most of the time? I think I would say that most of the time it's an education process because mm -hmm. I think everybody does it slightly differently. And I yeah. think it's important for us, you know, we've developed like the tank very intentionally works with 
um, a broad scale of client. So we work with really small businesses and startups. Cool. We work with local restaurants and things like that. But we also work with um, much larger organizations like FedEx or Citizens Bank, mm-hmm. Reebok, Puma, organizations like that. So they definitely have different maturity levels as far as their understanding of design. Um, but it's always important that we educate them on our process and the way that we think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think even when people are well-versed in design as a practice, understanding how we're going to work together is always a really important part of, of um, making sure that the work ends up being successful. Definitely. Um, Jeff, what is something that you are struggling with in your design career right now? Um, that's, yeah. Uh, so I, I think for me personally, um, it's balancing the, my time in being a designer and being a manager or, or, um, you know, managing other designers. So there's definitely a balance there. I think it's really important for, um, for, for tank that we, you know, we do a good job of, of having good mentorship and, and a good sort of, um, uh, structure and that we're able to, to help new designers mm-hmm. um, and that we're sort of a well-managed operation. Um, but at the same time, um, I like to roll my sleeve up and I like to do work, you know, so I like to design. And that's the reason I got into this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to keep doing that. And, and that's true of my, my partners as well. So we, um, for me personally, that's, that's probably, you know, something that I sort of wrestle with on a daily basis is finding efficiency and, and being a good manager, being present, being there to help people. Um, but then at the same time, being able to spend some time actually with the work. Beautiful. And I actually hear that, um, a lot as a common thing for, for, uh, creative directors and art directors who love to design, love the process, Mm. you know, handing it off to somebody does not come naturally to them, especially at first in their first few years of making that transition. Um, and you know, always, you know, checking yourself for lack of a better term on, could I be doing this more efficiently or is this something that I can have somebody else do more efficiently? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I've, um, throughout my career, I've had a number of really good, um, mentors and I think Mm -hmm. you develop sort of, you, you develop this, um, experience that you then want to be able to make sure that you're sharing with other people. So it's, it's something that you want to be able to balance your time to be able to get time to yourself to do the work, but then you also want to be there for, for your team. Um, so yeah, being able to, to make sure that you're, you're doing good work there is, is a, it's a tough balance, but I hear you. All right, Jeff, <laughs> I'm going to turn this bus around for you. Um, cool. tell me about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of one that just makes your heart sing. Oh, that's cool. Um, I think the, the, there are different things that make me excited about projects. Mm-hmm. One, um, I'm often in awe of the scale of some of the work that we're doing for the likes of FedEx. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the moment we're working on a number of digital products for them that are sort of reimagining shipping, reimagining tracking, um, things like that. Like the opportunity to think about um, an organization of that scale, but also um, the impact that it has on so many people's lives when you can create an efficient shipping experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's super exciting to me. Um, and I, 
I am constantly sort of in awe of of the scale and the opportunity with a project like that. Um, so that's something recently that's that's been super exciting. Um, I also have been lucky enough, I think, in my career to work on a couple of things. Um, early on in my career, I redesigned um, Amnesty International's website. Um, that was a super exciting project because um, I guess I'm always, I, I feel like design is a powerful tool. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you can use design for, um, you know, use design for good, I think that's the that's important. So being involved in, in projects like that has, has been exciting as well. Very cool. Um, Jeff, what is one design product, tool, website, or community that you just couldn't live without? Uh, yeah, that's good. I think um, I think there's. I think community is probably the most important thing. So I look to. Um, I look to make sure that I'm finding ways to communicate well with, with um, my team here, and we have an office in San Francisco. So I think it's probably our communication tools that have that have been really kind of revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we're using Slack a lot. We use video to to communicate a lot. Um, uh, now we're starting to look at um, more collaborative design tools. So, you know, we're using. Um, we're using uh, Sketch and Envision, obviously. We're using Sketch libraries. Um, we're using. Uh, we've started to, to look at Figma as a tool for for collaboration. So I think anything that enables us to collaborate as a group is is really um, is really super cool. And I think at this stage, probably not something that we could efficiently work without. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the other the other end of the spectrum is simply making sure that I always have a notebook with me. Um, because I think sometimes it's really important to remove, remove the other stuff from the equation and just be able to, what's the most efficient way that I can communicate my thoughts onto, onto paper. And that's just a notebook. Awesome. Jeff, well, you've reached the port of the show for the ask it forward question. Um, that's where I have a question for you from my last guest and you have the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. So my last guest was Ben Connolly, and it was awesome that you said you're from Dublin because Ben is in Belfast. Oh, look at that. So born in Belfast, he is uh, Angel and Anchor, uh, is his uh, little studio. And he wanted to ask, um, time not being an issue, money not being an issue, what side hustle or side passion project would you take on and why? Ah, oh, that's good. I think um, I think it's anything where I can just focus on a craft, right? So, um, so something that I really like to do is to just um, generate marks that are super simple. So, if I can restrict myself, if I could just spend a really significant time amount of time creating um, super simple black and white logo types. I would do that all day. I love it. That's cool. (laughs) Um, Jeff, what is your question for my next guest? Um, I think my question would be given, um, given the way that design is evolving um, and the way that design is becoming, um, well, that there's, there's maybe a risk that design is becoming sort of, um, 
automated in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is the role of design when it comes to um, sort of socio political good? Um, what what role does design play in the future of that? So, what is the role of design in um, socio political good? Yeah, and and sort of um, how to better phrase it. How how can we use design to improve um, to improve people's lives in the future? Mm. I like it, Jeff. I will ask them that question. You have reached the end of the quickie podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show, Jeff. It was great chatting with you. Thank you. It's been a blast. I appreciate it. All right. That's the end of today's episode, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I wasn't lying, right? Voice make a Wolverine purr, and what a unique accent. I love chatting with Jeff. He is such a nice guy. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye.